good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, if you see me uh, walking a little weird on the stage this morning, don't worry, I'm fine. Uh, yesterday, I ran a 10K with my wife, um, uh, mostly out of obligation, I will say. Uh, there was no real desire in me to go run 10, uh, 10K for an hour. I mean, who wants to run for an hour? That's an insanity. And, and by the way, uh, confirmed, it is an insanity. Don't do it, okay? Uh, no. So I, I, I ran a 10K yesterday with my wife, and, and actually, um, ironically, she did beat me, just in case you're wondering. Okay, we got that out of the way. Uh, but beyond that, I, I will say it was an amazing thing because I, I actually ran the entire time. So now, now I know. That was the furthest I've ever run at once without stopping. So now I know this body can actually run 6.2 miles without stopping. 6.3, I can't make any promises, but 6.2, I know I can do that. Why did I keep running? Why did I not stop running? Well, in my head, there was this voice. It is a voice I absolutely dislike now. It is the voice of my 16-year-old son, Brahanu. Uh, I don't like his voice anymore. I told him this, uh, yesterday afternoon, uh, your voice is done in my head. That is the last time I'm putting it in my head. Because here's what happened. My son was running a half marathon the same morning I was running a 10K. And so I told him, listen, I want you to run it in under one hour and 40 minutes. I think you can do it. And so uh, he said, okay. And then he said to me, well, then dad, I want you to run your 10K under one hour. And I'm like, you, you do the math on that. That's not good odds, okay? Uh, and so he was running the half marathon here in Florida, uh, uh, not Florida, in, in the Orlando area. I was running in St. Augustine area. And so we're running simultaneously. And the entire time, every time I wanted to stop, every time, everything in my body said, this is the dumbest thing you've ever done in your life. Stop it. Uh, this voice would come in my head and Bahana would say, under one hour, under one hour. And I knew that if I stopped, that I wouldn't make it under one hour. And then I would have to go to Burhanu and he would go like this. I did it under an hour and 40 and I ran a half marathon because I knew he was going to pull it off. I knew it. He ran in 133. I'm like, that is so unfair. I ran in 56 minutes. Yes. So we both pulled it off. We got to come together and kind of go, we did it. And the reason I ran in 56 minutes is because the voice in my head kept coming back to me saying, stay the course. Stay the course. This matters. You can do it. You can do it. Don't, don't quit now. Paul has spent a great deal of time uh, in the region of Galatia planting churches there. Uh, he had done it under great persecution. Uh, remember, it was in Galatia that he was stoned and, and left for dead. It was in Galatia that he was kicked out of cities and towns. It was in Galatia that nobody wanted him around. It was in Galatia that both the Jewish leadership as well as the Gentile leadership hated him at different times. Him and Barnabas faced great odds in Galatia that were against them, and yet they persevered not only once through the, uh, the region of Galatia, but twice coming back through to strengthen the churches, right? So, so here is Paul planting churches in Galatia among the Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles as a mixed group, seeing for the first time the Jews and Gentiles really colliding under one banner, Christ, and seeing this beautiful newness emerge, everything we hear about as we listen to the New Testament uh, being written, and in that process, left Galatia to continue on mission, and in leaving Galatia, kind of left them with this, stay the course. Uh, you've, you've got the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We've wrestled through the realities of that good news. We've wrestled through the implications of that good news. You're well settled in that. You know what you need to do. You understand clearly. Go for it. Go for it. And then he finds out later on, as you well know if you've been around, that in the uh, region of Galatia, uh, some false teachers had come in. And they had basically started telling the Galatians what Paul had told you to do, you shouldn't do. It would be like somebody running alongside me, and really there was, the voice in my own head, shouting at me, what are you, what are you doing? Well, I'm running a 10K. Why? Well, because my wife asked me to run it with me, and my son wants me to run under one hour, and I, 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 I want to be able to run well. You don't need to run well. Stop running. Here, there's a coffee shop. There's a coffee shop. I mean, you could stop right now. You could have a cup of coffee. You could relax. Then after coffee, you could kind of take a shortcut back and cross the finish line. And who will know? Who will know? It crossed my mind. I'm just saying. I'm just saying it was there. 
It would be like a voice like that jogging with me and just whispering to me as we went and, and having me go, I, I, I've got the right voices in my head. And, and Paul finds out about these, these voices and realizes that what was happening in some ways is that the Galatians were holding on their course and stopping by the coffee shop figuring there's another way, right? And so uh, he writes them this letter, the letter of Galatians, to kind of uh, call back and to say, what are you doing I mean, I thought the voice in the head was solidified and it seems like you have well forgotten that and you have given up on the course that has been so beautifully set for you by Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and now you are taking this other course. I, I just don't even get it. And so the, the book of Galatians is a voice. It is a voice that should enter into our minds and linger there. It should be Paul through the, uh, through, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the voice of the Spirit of God in our heads now going, this is the gospel. It matters a great deal. Live by it. Live for Christ. This is what should be in our minds. And this is exactly what Paul's been doing in the book of Galatians, which is why in some ways the book of Galatians sounds so repetitive, doesn't it? I mean, let's be honest. We've been going through it for a while. It's like, are we revisiting this again? Are we going back into the freedom from the law again? And I'm like, yeah, Paul did. He just kept repeating himself over and over again. He's like, this is the guy running next to you going, stay the course, stay the course. Stay the, okay, let, remember, re- remember, remember all the time so that it gets stuck in us. And so that just like Barana's voice in my head, I just keep going and going 56 minutes, 56 minutes, I can do it. And that's what Paul is doing in the book of Galatians. Now, if you remember, Paul is dealing in the book of Galatians primarily with this concept that the gospel of Jesus Christ, now that Jesus has come, he has lived, he has died, he has rose from the dead, uh, this gospel, this good news that we are rescued, our souls are rescued by the work of Christ, our futures redeemed by the work of Christ, bought back for us, and our current purpose restored by the work of Christ. We are righteous by the work of Christ, and we live by the work of Christ now. This is what he is nailing down and saying, this matters a great deal. The first part of Galatians, the gospel matters and getting it right matters. If you get the gospel wrong, you get it all wrong. The second part of the book of Galatians has been, okay, what is the gospel? What is it? What is it? And you remember as we've traveled through that, what Paul has been trying to really nail down for us all is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, its primary reality is this, that you and I thought that by some work of our own that was directed by God, we can attain salvation or rightness or justification with God. God gives us a set of standards. We live by those standards. We are righteous by those standards. And we are right with God because of those standards. And therefore God loves us. And therefore God is pleased with us. And therefore God rescues us. That was what we thought. And what does the gospel say? Wrong-o. Doesn't work that way. Why doesn't it work that way? Because you and I do not have the capacity to attain the level of righteousness by the set of righteous requirements in order to be made right. So no matter the work we put in, we are ultimately damned because we cannot attain the set of righteousness required to be saved. We can't. So we try and try and uh, we either do one of two things. Either we try to live by the law and we fail or we give up and live lawlessly and we fail. And so those are our two options and neither work. And so the gospel says Jesus came to do what the law was incapable of doing in that it was weakened by our incapacity, our sinful nature. Jesus did for us. He did the work for us. He rescued our soul. He makes us righteous. He continues to make us righteous. So there were two words that came up, justification and sanctification. Justification, to be made right, and sanctification, the ongoing being made more like Christ, being made right. So both of those realities are works of God in us. This is what the gospel says. What do we say to that? Well, we say, okay, no, 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 hold on. 
It's got to include works of our own. And so the Jewish people, the Jewish leadership were either saying to be justified, that is to be made right with God, got to live by the law, by the outward signs. Circumcision represented that whole package. Or if you are made right by Christ, then you've got to live by the law and circumcision to stay right with Christ, to continue to be more right with Christ. This is what the leadership of the Jewish world was saying, and this is what the false teachers were trying to convince the Galatians of, right? So there we are. Now, Paul had just spent a little bit of time in the book of Galatians in chapter 4 unpacking a reality for the Jewish people and for those who believed this to be a reality. And this was found in Galatians chapter 4. Grab your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. I was going to briefly look there for a second and I'm going to go into Galatians chapter 5 which is where we are today. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 is where we're going to start in a second. That's on page 632 if you're using one of our Bibles that we provide. Page 632, Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. If you're using your Bible, Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 or one of your smart devices, that's where you want to go. So here we are, okay? In Galatians 4, 21 through 31, remember that Paul was unpacking a story out of the Old Testament that was the story of the very uh, emergence, the origin of the Jewish people. He was unpacking the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael, and he compared them, one being free, birthing a free child, Sarah and and, and Isaac, and one being uh, bound or enslaved, birthing a slave child, uh, Hagar and Ishmael. And he flipped it around and said, when we live by the law, we live by the covenant of Hagar and the enslavement of Ishmael. And if we live in Christ, we are sons of the free woman and sons and, 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 and heirs of Isaac because it was through Isaac that we received Christ. So it wasn't about being a blood relative. It was about whose, whose blessing you belong to. The blessing of the law, which is death, or the blessing of Christ, which is life. And this is what he did. And so he's, he's just been delving with them about the difference between freedom and slavery. Freedom and slavery. Freedom and slavery. Calling them to remember. And now, at the end of four, this is what he says. So, brothers, verse 31, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. That's how he closes the story out. You are children of the free woman, descendants of the promise of Abraham and Isaac, a descendants of the promise of Christ. This is why you're free. Not because you have blood in you that goes back to Isaac, but because you are, you are made alive by the promise that came through Isaac Christ. So we are not children of the slave. We are children of the free. Now it makes sense that the next little part of this letter would sound this way. Chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. That's how he starts chapter 5 out. But it's really tied to the story he just came out of. Do you see that? We are are children of the free woman, not of the slave woman, of the free covenant, not of the covenant that enslaves. This is who we are. So therefore, brothers, considering this, do not live as one bound by the slavery of the slave woman. Do not go back and place yourselves back in the cage of slavery that we've just told you you've walked out of. Because Christ didn't set you free so you could live as a slave. Christ didn't set you free so that you could live as a slave. He set you free so that you could live free. It's a crazy idea, isn't it? Makes so much sense, but this is the deal. We tend to come to Christ, receive Christ as Savior, so that we can go to heaven, right? I mean, you know it. That's what you were told. If you don't receive Jesus, you go to the hell place. If you receive Jesus, you go to the heaven place. The heaven place is a much more fun. You should go there. And then uh, we receive Jesus so we can go there instead of here. And then what do we do? 
we go back to the life we've been living and, and we find ourselves sequencing out living in the same bondage in which we were before Christ came. And what Christ is saying here, what Paul is saying here to us is this. When I set you free, I didn't just set you free to redeem your future. I set you free to live free now, to live free here, to live free in what I'm doing. So stop going back to some self-proclaimed version of life and live in and by Christ alone. This is what Paul is trying to push for because he knows you and I. He knows himself. Anytime we are given any space to do the self thing, we do the self thing because we like self. Self feels safe. When I drive, who drives the car? I drive the car. Nobody else drives the car. Why? Because when I'm in the other seat, the only thing I've got is a seat belt. <laughs> but when I'm in that seat, what do I have? I have my brain and my hands and my body and my reactions and my observations and all the things I'm seeing. There is inside of us this deep sense that when I am in control of something, I can determine its future. It is born out of where we came from, out of the Garden of Eden, right? That we believed after the fall that we were divine. We were creators. We were producers. We were authors of life. You are the author of your own destiny. And what Paul is saying here is, listen, Christ came to set you free so that you wouldn't live by self-governance self-preservation, self-righteousness, self-anything, that you would live in Christ by Christ's preservation and Christ's righteousness and Christ's governance, Christ's way. And in that, there will be freedom for you. Now, he's gonna go on to unpack what this means. So he's just, he's made the bold statement, right? He set you free to be free. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be free? If we say, I'm free, how does that play out in your life and my life? How should we recognize whether we're living in our freedom or whether we're living back under the yoke of slavery that was ours prior to discovering the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let's take a look. He starts here, verse two. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ will be of no advantage to you. Whoa. I testify against every, uh, I, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. What is, what is Paul saying here? Well, one, he's being really hilarious because he's playing on words here, dealing with circumcision and saying you're severed from Christ. You do the math, okay? Uh, and so you'll see Paul playing with words here because he wants the audience to recognize what's going on here. That, that here's the deal. We cannot have both worlds. It's not how it works. We cannot have Christ as a part of our own presentation of righteousness. You understand what I just said? We cannot say, I've got a plan for righteousness and Jesus is part of my plan. And that's what we, in essence, do a lot of the time. Circumcision, I don't know that any of us in this place are dealing with a deep issue in our lives about whether or not we should walk into circumcision. Okay, But circumcision here represents the way of life where a human being says there is a set of ordered things that if I accomplish them or if I do them or if I step into them, then I will please God. I will be right with God. God will be happy with me. And what Paul is saying is, look, here's the deal. Here's how the gospel works. You got to get this. You got to catch this because if you miss this, you miss the whole shebang. Listen. If you're coming to God and saying, here's the deal, uh, I'm going to do Jesus and a part of, the, of the, 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 the ways of righteousness, present them to you, that will make me a better person. He goes, no, 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 no. Our obligation is simple. We are either obligated to Christ or we are obligated to the law. You got to pick one or the other. You cannot go back and forth between the free woman and the slave woman. Now I'm a child of Sarah. Now I'm a child of Ishmael. Now, see, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It's not, it's not possible. 
The question isn't, what are you today? The question is, are you a child of Isaac or are you a child of Ishmael? Which one? You are one or the other. And so he's saying, to those of you that are hoping to bring to the table something for God to be happy with, so you can go, look at my life, look at how well I have lived. To you, you have obligated yourself to the whole law, so here's how it's going to roll. If you're bringing your righteousness to the table, then we'll run with your righteousness. That's what we're going to do. And how well has your righteousness played out? Well, let's take the whole law now and compare it. No, 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 no. I was just talking about these parts. Well, once you do these parts and bring them to the table, you bring the whole law to the table. See, Paul is repeating himself. He is saying, guys, let me remind you again. He says the word again there. I will tell those of you that think that you must be circumcised to be justified and right with God. Let me remind you, let me tell you, let me repeat myself again. If you come with any part of the law, then you come with the whole law. If you come with any part of Christ, you must come with all of Christ. You don't get to pick parts of both. And so he says, if you are coming to be justified, then frankly, Christ has no use to you. Christ either is our righteousness or he is nothing to us. Let me say that again. Christ is either our righteousness or he is nothing to us. He is not part of our righteousness. He's not part of it. He's either our righteousness or he's nothing. Because you're either bringing yours to the table or you're bringing his to the table. Those are the two options. So to those of you that hope to bring yours to the table, you will be severed from Christ if you are trying to be justified by the law. Look at verse 5. For through the Spirit, through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Whoa, I mean, there, there's, a, there's five sermons right there. You dig into that verse alone. I mean, I, I read that verse and I'm like, no, I have 45 minutes. That's not fair, God. You can't give me that verse. I mean, that, that's, that's, the, that's, that's 45 minute intro. Why? Because, because look what Paul just said. He's, he's just throwing the opposite now. He goes, look, if you're gonna bring the law to the table as your righteousness and Jesus as a side note, take Jesus off the table because he's of no use to you. Because you are going to be obligated to the whole law and you will be damned there. Because the whole law, you cannot live by it because you do not have the capacity. But when you bring Christ to the table, here's how Christ's righteousness works. You ready? Watch this. We who have Christ, we live through the Spirit. We know that it is the Spirit of God who lives in us now who will produce in us what is needed to be produced. Let me say that again. The Spirit in us will produce in us what is needed to be produced in order to stand righteous before Christ. And it is by faith, faith being the belief, the knowledge, the knowing that it is through the Spirit and the work of Christ that this is doable. So I come not with my works, but with my faith. Look, look, I don't come with my works, I come with my faith. I say I have nothing to put on the table for justification to be made right with God, for sanctification to be made more like Christ. I only have my faith, what I know to be true. And what do I know to be true? That you said that Jesus died for me, rose from the dead for me. His righteousness is now a substitute for mine. And the Spirit of God in me will produce that righteousness as he must. So I would be right with you. And that's all I got. I just got what I know to be true. I either bring to the table my works or I bring to the table what I know to be true. And when I bring to the table what I know to be true, I bring to the table my hope. I have, I have through the Spirit, by faith, a hope for righteousness. See those words? It's so beautiful. God, I don't have righteousness. I have promise. Your promise. And so all I have is a hope for the righteousness you said was true in me. I don't know. I've tried. I can't do it. But you said you did, and so that's all I bring to the table. I bring Christ. I bring Christ. 
and that which I know to be true of Christ and the work that Christ did for me. And the only hope I have that you would even see me as righteous is Christ. So uh, my righteousness is a hope, not a reality. It is only a reality in that you've promised it to be. So it is real, but my part in it is belief and hope, not work. Belief and hope, not work. And so Paul says, listen, that's how we live. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly, and I love that word eagerly. When you use the word eagerly, are you worried? Are you concerned? Are you anxious? When you eagerly wait for something, you are not anxious. You're not worried. You're not concerned. You are what? Excited. Do you see what Paul's doing here? He's saying, we don't come with a, with a hope that is fading. We come with a hope that is absolute. And we eagerly wait. Because here's what Paul says. When you come to the table through the Spirit, by faith, with this hope, there is only one outcome. Freedom. One outcome, life, one outcome, freedom and life. And so we come eagerly with our faith, eagerly with our hope. Oh, I have Jesus. Don't have any of the law. Kind of blew that one. Thank goodness I have Jesus. Look at this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. See what Paul's doing now is? He's saying, guys, if you think this is an issue about circumcision, I think you should, I think you shouldn't. Don't matter. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. Circumcised, uncircumcised, righteous, unrighteous in these kinds of things day to day, these are not going to affect your justification. They are not going to affect your rightness with Christ anymore. You cannot affect your rightness with Christ by the things you do, the works you bring to the table. Listen carefully again. I mean, these things are so important. I want to repeat. You cannot affect your rightness with Christ through the things you do or the things you get involved in. You can't. You can't. It is a work of Christ and Christ alone. This is our joy. Now, you get to a place when you listen to Paul enough in the book of Galatians where if you're listening carefully, you start getting a little nervous. You should. Because you start asking yourself, hold on a second. It sounds to me like what you're constantly coming back to, Paul, is that living righteously or unrighteously, living a life that's following Jesus or not following Jesus in your actions, it just don't matter. It just doesn't matter. So you're, you're giving license, license to, to, to basically walk out and say, so why am I doing all these right things? Why am I living righteously? I don't understand. I mean, if you're coming to me and saying, look, this whole thing, you know, love your spouse and love your kids and care for your coworkers and, and be a good student and, and, and be kind and good to others. Why? It's just a useless activity now, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm good with Jesus. I'm right with Christ. I'm in. I'm awesome. So let's, let's roll. I mean, what do you want to do? Tonight's, what is it? Sunday night? Great. Well, it doesn't matter. It could be Friday night. Let's go do something fun. Because now righteousness counts for nothing because Christ is enough. Mm, hold, hold. Because what Paul is doing here now, and this is why I love this particular story, is Paul is about to create a bridge. He's going to create a bridge for us. And the bridge is going to run from the, the place we started, which is in the law we find our righteousness. He's going to bridge us from there to, nope, the law isn't capable of doing that. It is in Christ we find our righteousness. So therefore, keep bridging. Righteousness is no good to make us right with God. Only Jesus can do that. And now he's going to bridge us into, so why live righteously? Why live righteously if it's of no use to make you right with God? Watch. Watch what he says. Here's our first clue. And the rest of the book of Galatians is the implications to this great gospel of Jesus Christ rescuing us without work of our own. I'm going to read uh, verse 5 again. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith. So we know that part, right? Here it is. Get ready. Working through love. Faith working through love. This is where Paul's going to begin to, to poke and prod at our lives and say, 
Now, if Jesus has rescued our soul by a work of his own, redeemed our future by a work of his own, restored our purpose by a work of his own, the spirit of God in us will produce all that is necessary for us to be justified, that is to be made right with God, and sanctified, that is to be made more like Christ. If the spirit is producing all of that in us, then why live righteously? And then he says this, Our lives, circumcision or uncircumcision, irrelevant. Our life is now a life we live by that faith I talked about. And what is the faith? The belief that what Jesus is saying is true. I believe that Jesus is who he said he was and will do what he said he will do. Right? That's that's the faith I bring to the table. I believe God is who he says he is and will do what he says he'll do. So based on that belief now, that absolute knowledge that I am right with God because of him, that faith will present through love. Love, this is a big word, love. Because love now redirects us from lawless freedom into a a bound life for the sake of others. James wrote about this when he was writing his letter to the church earlier on. So this is already in circulation, the book of James. Uh, The the early church read this book. And in the book of James, in chapter 2, in verse 14, James made a case for the way our faith works. James also, like Paul said, we are not justified by works, nor are we sanctified by works. But he said works are a critical and integral part of our life. How? Watch. James chapter 2 verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Huh, interesting. So all the stuff we've been talking about, all these works we've been talking about, that we've been saying useless, useless, useless as far as justification or sanctification is concerned, now they have an incredible use. Watch. If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things that needed for the body, what good is it? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Ooh, ooh. And what is dead faith? It's not faith. Do you understand? Dead faith isn't faith. So here's what James is saying. When you believe that God is who he said he was, and God does what he says he does, and you actually stand at the table with Christ as your righteousness, and the Spirit of God working in you to produce your sanctify, your, your sanctification, your being made like Christ, when you stand there, that faith that makes that real is the same faith that's now going to produce freedom in you. Now watch. This is where freedom expands beyond simply freedom from the law, okay? Because we are free from the obligation of the law in order to be made right with God, right? The gospel set us free from that. You do not need to live by the law in order to be made right with Christ. So the curse of the law, which is that it cannot make you righteous, has been lifted. Oh, that's big. But... Freedom is not produced when you live lawlessly. That's not freedom either. So what the gospel is going to do is it's going to come to us and it's going to set us free from self-righteousness, but it's not going to allow us to enter into lawlessness because we are as bound in lawlessness as we are bound in self-righteousness. We have not only been set free from the law that is our curse because we cannot live by it, we have also been set free from the law of sin, which is our death, and it is a lawless life where we live for ourselves, governed by ourselves, preserving our way of life. And we have been set free from that also. 
What Solomon said was the chasing after the wind, which is what us human beings do when we are without purpose and without Christ, just running to try to make it through life, build a good retirement, retire happy and live out our years in some kind of level of comfort and convenience to try to hope to leave some deep legacy that will last beyond a generation. This cycle of life we live in, that is so small and so limiting and so exhausting and we are free from that. We are free from the need to try and preserve ourselves and try to make ourselves right and try to make ourselves God. We are free. And so here's what he says. When you live by the faith that we just talked about presented on the table to make yourself right with God through Christ, that faith will now by definition through the work of the Holy Spirit begin to produce a set of righteousness that is the result of that faith that will begin to lead you into a life of radical love. Your behavior will, by definition, begin to conform to Christ because your heart, bent by the love of God in the faith that you present, will begin to draw you to wanting to follow and be like Christ. If that's not present, the faith you're bringing to the table is very possibly what? Dead. It's not real. It's a means, watch now, it's a means of self-righteousness. I'm gonna bring to the table Jesus. I, I said a prayer, I was nine, it was good. So I can be with you. Anyways, I got some things to do. See, that's not actually faith. That's a prayer you said because someone told you to. Caution, caution. Lots of people walk around with that card in their hand. It is not a get out of jail free card. Just word to the wise. It is not a simple act of believing something theoretically. It is a wholehearted knowing that with eager anticipation, I wait to see what will be done in me because of his great work. And so Paul begins to say, our lives will begin to mirror our reality in Christ. Watch, watch. You were running well, he says in verse seven. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole loaf. So he's he's saying here, you add a little bit of the law in, a little bit of works, a little bit of self-righteousness, and suddenly you are obligated to the whole. He's back there again. You don't get to say, here's my loaf, Jesus, and here this portion right here is my self-righteousness. And if I present both, it's a better deal. This undoes this. If we do not, because if we do this, then we do not understand this. Watch, 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 watch. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. This is Paul saying, please, guys, am I making sense? Am I making sense? You can't sit here and not get this. I'm confident that if you take any other view, this is not going to go well for you. Now, look how serious he gets about this. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In the case, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. What is Paul saying here? Saying, listen, if we go back to presenting a portion of self to God, then the very nature of the offense of the cross is removed because here's what the cross says. You have nothing. You can't do anything. And you can't present your righteousness because it's no good. Jesus is everything and Jesus is enough and Jesus is Lord and you must submit yourself to Christ for you do not bring to the table what will make him respond to you. You bring to the table yourself to respond wholly to him. This is offensive and he is speaking in the Jewish context in particular. You're saying, I was a Jew. I was a Pharisee living by the law. Why are the Jewish people so bent out of shape by the message of the gospel? Why? Because it is saying your system don't work. Your system won't cut it. Your system's not going to get it done. Your system is useless when it comes to making you right with God. And that is deeply offensive to any human being who has a system. You understand? 
I have a system. It's working for me. Don't tell me I need a new one. And Paul's saying, if I was preaching circumcision, frankly, I'd be, there'd be no stonings. There'd be no death. There'd be no persecution because I would be saying to them, Jesus is a good addition to your system. Jesus is a good addition to your system. And I will say, just as a side note, in our Western culture, we are famous for this. I've heard this so many times in church. Hey, hey, Jesus is a good addition to your system. Here's how it's said. You, you should receive Jesus as Savior so you can have heaven someday. Just, just keep living your life. He's not going to like call you to be a missionary in China. And I go, he might. He very well might. And if not a missionary in China, something. And when it's all done, yep, you'll lose all of your life probably. All your resources, all of your relationships, all of your circumstances, they will all eventually end up on his altar. He's going to take them all from you. And you're going to be glad for it. But we don't do that. Jesus doesn't want to make you uncomfortable. He just wants to add to your current American dream and make it better, bigger, you know, for the future. Watch out. Because Paul says, if I preach the circumcision as part of Christ, then I remove the offense of the cross. What is the point? The cross is useless. Because the cross will not bow itself to our systems. It won't do it. Jesus is not going to go, tell you what, I'll come in on the side, hang with you, make some things right. But your system, man, seems awesome. Jesus never walks in and submits himself to us, ever. He demands that we submit ourselves to him because he knows that when we do, we will find life and freedom. His demand for absolute submission is not out of dictatorship. It is out of love because he knows we are not free until we are wholly bound in Christ. Watch. But if I, brothers, preach circumcision, the offense of the cross has been removed. Verse 12, I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. Forgive Paul for that little sentence, would you? Uh, the Spirit of God gave him some leeway there, I'm sure, and said, go ahead, write it down. I'm not, I'm not going to stop you. If that's what you want to say, I feel like getting your feelings out is a good part of this. I don't, know, I don't know what was going on there between Paul and the Spirit, but I love it. And I know exactly what the Spirit of God was allowing Paul to do in that moment. Tell them how serious this is. Tell them how serious this is. If they think this is a little thing that we need to kind of tweak, this is how serious it is. I wish the people that were trying to tell you to be circumcised would just emasculate themselves and we could solve this problem. This is a big deal. Now, Paul is done, right? He's done presenting this reality. We are free from the law. We are free from the law to be justified or sanctified. He has clued us in that in this faith we bring to the table, when that faith is authentic and our belief is real, that that faith will translate back to us and not only call us out of bondage from the obligation of the law, but it will also protect us from bondage in the world of lawlessness. And how's it going to do that? Watch. For you were called to freedom, brothers. You were called to freedom. Paul is so adamant about this. Freedom, 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 freedom. God wants your freedom. He wants your freedom. So look here. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. The flesh represents lawlessness, self-governance, self-divinity, okay? I know better than God. Anytime it is I know better than God, that is a version of lawlessness or self-governance or arrogance. And anytime I say I can make myself right with God, that is a sign of self-righteousness and arrogance. And what is the gospel always going to do? Protect us from which one? Both. Both, ourselves, ourselves. It is always when we get in the way that we go wrong either way. So he says, listen, do not now think that this freedom you have from the law should now translate into lawlessness where you just live for yourself. That is not the gospel. Listen, that is not the gospel. Do not live for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
you have been invited into an extraordinary life of loving those around you because you have been loved completely. In view of His love for you, you have the power, the ability, the invitation, the honor of loving others. Watch this. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Wow. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, listen, now that you have been awakened by the Spirit, made alive in Christ, and your faith has been born, and this authentic faith that has been authored in you by the author of life, love, faith, freedom, and everything else, as he's authored this faith in you, you now bring that faith to the table for your justification and your sanctification, and as you recognize what a beautiful gift this is, I am made right by his work. The response is that that faith now comes back and inside of you through the work of the Spirit sparks in you this deep, beautiful thing that emerges that sets you free from a self-governance, self-preservation type of life. And you stop trying to preserve self and you start trying to preserve Christ. Christ, not self. And this is where our freedom begins to expand beyond our wildest imagination. Because if we could actually realize what this means, we will be free from being hurt and damaged and pained by those around us and react in any form of vengeance. Because we will not need it. We will feel the pain, but we will trust the gospel. I don't trust you all. You shouldn't trust me. We're insane. We exist to hurt each other. What I trust is the gospel. That it is enough that when you hurt me, I can bear your sin. And when I hurt you, you can bear mine. Because we do not bear the weight of one another's sin because Christ has borne all of our weight. I trust the gospel in my relationships, in my resources, in my circumstances. See, what you begin to learn is you begin to start going, if this is true, then I can begin to respond in acts of love, radical love, and righteousness begin, becomes the means by which I do that. I act rightly so that I can love God and so that I can love others. When I'm at work and those timesheets are in front of me and I know if I, if I just fudge them a bit, the bonus gets twice as big. Twice as big. Doesn't seem like much, does it? Can you justify it? I can. If you need justification, come to me. I'll help you. But not when we stand here because then I ask myself, what am I trying to do? Self-preserve? Self-govern? And who is it that I'm affecting? How is it that I'm affecting? Maybe I'm not affecting a single person other than the bottom line pocket of the boss that makes more money than is, is even reasonable. Yeah, but, but you've, just, you've just said this. My life matters more than the gospel. My way is better than God's. And what is that? Self-governance. It is lawlessness. When we are in a relationship with someone and God has boundaries on that relationship, says, here's how I want you to play it. When two of you are together, before you have one of these things on your finger, and this is actually covenant made real, here's the things I don't want you to do. And we go, I hear you, but you didn't live in our culture, did you now, Jesus? And you don't understand how things roll here, and you don't understand how hard it is for me. What are we saying? My way, in this case, is better than God's. And we have said, despite what I know to be true, my life matters more than the gospel. And here's the awesome part. You ready for this? Here's the awesome part. We're talking about freedom. Since we're talking about freedom, we're free from the obligation of the law to be made right with God. But watch. If you choose to live lawlessly, lawlessly as a self-governed human being, here's what I promised you will happen. This is what Paul just said. You will end up devouring one another. Whew. Does that sound fun to you? Does that sound free to you? 
Here's how it's going to roll. Live under the law. You're obligated to the law and you're damned. Live lawlessly under your own self-governance and you will all devour one another. The second sounds almost worse. But live by the gospel and you are free from the law and free to love one another, acting righteously so that your righteousness is an act of worship to God, love, and an act of love to others. And this is our freedom. I'm only touching on that now because for the rest of the book of Galatians, that's all Paul's gonna unpack now. How does that play out? How does that play out? How does it play out in your relationships? How does it play out in your workplace? How does it play out in your marriage? How does it play out in your friendships? How does it play out with your enemies? We're gonna spend the next few weeks talking about how we can go and live in this beautiful faith in a manner so beautifully righteous that our righteousness will translate into radical love and that will change everything. And born out of that will not be death and bondage, but born out of that will be life and freedom. And so Paul says, it is for freedom that you have been set free. So do not tie yourself again to either the yoke of law as an obligation to rightness or the yoke of lawlessness as a means of self-preservation but tie yourself to Christ who is enough for both and will set you free. Let's pray. God, thank you for your incredible and amazing love for us. Would you help us like the voice in my head with Burhanu as I was running to have your voice in our heads every day. Live free brothers and sisters. 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 Do not obligate yourself to self-righteousness trying to appease the God who has already rescued you and is already pleased with you. And do not live in acts of arrogant lawlessness determining that your way is better than his because in this case it is better. Do not try to self-preserve for he has already preserved you. Do not author your own story for he is authoring a better one for you. Trust his ways, not your own. Believe, believe, believe. No and no, and with eager, eager anticipation, wait for the hope of righteousness that is yours in Christ Jesus. May these voices be in our heads, Spirit of God, that we would live our lives in freedom, not believing the enemy either for our self-righteousness or for our arrogant self-governance and self-preservation. Make us a people, holy, a people, for your own purposes, a people to make the excellencies of your goodness known, a people that live out the fact that you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness and called us into the kingdom of light. And may we not live by sight or works, but by faith. And may our faith in its authenticity birth works that exceed those of the law. That we might be holy as you are holy, participating in your story. Make it so, Spirit of God, we pray in Jesus' name. We love you, Father.